0: Escape from Plan A. Escape, escape, escape from Plan A.
1: Welcome to Escape from Plan A. Another episode. Uh, this is your host, Teen uh i'm here with jess jess what's going on
2: quarantine day nine baby
1: oh day nine are you serious yeah okay all right so it we're 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 bunkered down i'm like on i don't know day it's probably day nine as well day 10 uh and we have a very uh special guest i'm kind of honored to have him on uh kaiser kaiser quo how are you doing man i'm well man. thanks thanks very much teen and jess and uh, if I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Kaiser, but he is the host of Seneca Podcast, which I highly recommend. It's one of the best podcasts when it comes to uh, just having like really great experts come on, being asked great questions um, about China, and particularly about China and U.S. relations. Uh, and he's the editor-at-large of SubChina. Uh, Kaiser, is there anything else you can you can tell us about yourself? I know you have a very interesting life story. You're you're an M- <laughs> you're ABC, right? You're American-born Chinese, but you spent a lot of time in China. Uh, That's right. Might be a good time to just kind of like introduce, just tell us a little bit about your life.
0: Sure. Um, I'm I'm currently living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but I came back here a little less than four years ago uh, after 20 years in Beijing. Uh, I was living there from 96 until 2016, and uh, during that time, I mean, I'd been there a year at a time or so, and and earlier stints as well, I've done some strange things. I've played in a heavy metal band that got, you know, quite well-known there. Uh, I've been a journalist. I've worked in technology companies, and during the last six years that I was there, I was simultaneously hosting a podcast and working as... Director of International Communications for the Chinese internet company, Baidu. Wow,
1: that's... Yeah, uh, so... And you just know a a ton of people, uh, it seems. And you've met a ton of people, and you've talked to a ton of people. Uh, So it's just been... Yeah, if people want to get a taste of that, just go to the... You know, uh, subscribe to Seneca, highly recommended. And there's... You guys already have, like, a ton of content on there. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks, Um, team. Yeah, we've got, like, close to 500 shows now, so...
1: Oh, yeah, 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 it's fantastic. Uh, so given this, given your background, given your knowledge, like one of the things, you know, we on this podcast, we talk a lot about Asian specifically Asian American political identity, which ever since, uh, you know, we really started around the time of Trump, because I we, we felt um, that that was going to become a larger and larger issue as the country became sort of more politically polarized. And where do we stand here, right? And I think with time, over time, I have found that the discussion, there's a, there's a real ceiling to it. Like a, not a very, there's a pretty low ceiling in terms of the, in particular, the sort of intellectual leadership that we're getting from Asian Americans. I think a lot of the public conversation seems to be pretty um, penned in and, and, tep- and timid. Now with this coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic... And with all of the issues that it's raising, particularly for Asian Americans, and we've done, already done a few pods on this, I don't think that needs to be necessarily rehashed, but it has been become, you know, a major global issue and one of particular importance to Asian Americans. Uh, I wanted to get sort of pick pick your brain as I think, fair you know, as an intellectual leader, I would say, I don't know if you would accept that <laughs> moniker or not, <laughs> about just what's going on and what you're thinking as a Chinese American, and where you think things are headed. I mean, I just really want to make it open-ended, because I just want to know what you're thinking, basically.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because you guys started this around the same time, as you say, Trump took office. And living in China, I hadn't really ever been too focused on Asian American issues. They were sort of secondary. Um, it's it's only been, really been since coming back to the States that that has... Grown in, in in my priority list, and uh, and as you say, with the advent of this coronavirus and uh, the spread of COVID nineteen, it's just been uh, very top of mind for me. To the point where I, I think it's really important that we separate it from conversations uh, about uh, China or separate it from conversations about you know the U S China relationship. This is really, uh, I think we have to to focus very single-mindedly on this as an issue, and when I'm I'm talking about this, I mean Trump's use of what I would term hate speech, what I would term uh, speech that he, I'm quite confident, knowingly deploys to raise xenophobia and more broadly, bigotry against people of East Asian descent in the United States. He, uh, his doing this, I think, has to be taken as quite separate from uh, the other issues, even including the ones that he says that it's about, like, you know, hitting back against China for spreading this narrative that the virus might have originated somewhere outside of China, in particular the United States, and then more recently Italy. Right. Um, so I think, the, the as you say, you guys have done a whole show about that. I listened to a good part of it last night, and it it's... Um, you know, these issues are really familiar to, to most of us here, that it's uh, already caused, I'm, I'm confident in asserting, a big spike in, you know, the hurling of racial epithets or even, you know, spitting and violence. I mean, the New York Times and other media organizations have covered this pretty well as well. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's the fundamental issue. I don't think there's any mystery about what that issue is. I just wanted to make sure that people understood that it ought to be treated quite separately. And I can explain why.
1: Yeah, let's get into that because I think that was sort of a central uh, issue that we were grappling with is that when he said China virus, and, you know, we have a picture of his speech where he specifically crossed it out and wrote China. Chinese. uh, He actually wrote Chinese Chinese virus.
0: Yeah. Which is worse, right?
1: Yeah, which is worse. And the... The, the, the reaction to that, I mean, and, and and I am heartened that there has been considerable, you know, uh, pushback against that and calling out with Asian Americans specifically centered. And Trump quickly, I think, tweeted yesterday in a pretty clumsy tweet, but nevertheless tweeted that we need to be mindful of Asian Americans and how that they, <laughs> the people picked up on this, but that they have contributed to our fight or whatever, you know. Um, but right. I, that's neither here nor near there. I mean, he was quick to point out that, look, I'm not in this to 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 slam Asian Americans. Uh, so it se- it just seems to me that if you look at the literal words of, say, Mike Pence and what he said in public speeches, you can find it at the thewhitehouse.gov, like what he said in the past about knowing that, believing that America has been infiltrated by... Chinese agents that from, you know, from, from, you know, at all levels, and that the American people need to know about this, that it seems that on the one hand, they're signaling this is not about Asian Americans at all. And also that you can't really distinguish between Asian American and Chinese, because a lot of them are going to be spies. And we've seen this throughout our history. So when you yeah, say ex- we need to exactly separate the, the two, is it possible? I guess my question is, do you really think that's possible and should it be separated? Because it seems like they're trying to connect it and also to make this about China.
0: You know, Well, we only know it's, if it's possible if we try, right? I mean, if we don't try, then, then we might as well just assume that it is impossible. I don't believe it is. I think that you can win the case. I think right now, um, if you look at the history of Japanese internment Japanese-American internment during uh, the Second World War, there are probably few people who would support that policy now, and and few people who would recognize that it was a, a travesty of justice. So the the discourse can change, and I think that uh, it's important that we try to do that. Um, look, there's no. It's again, this is exactly what they want to do. They want us to conflate these issues. They want to be able to uh, to talk about this, to frame this in terms of a response to a China threat. That is exactly what we must not fall for. This is exactly what is not the case. We have to frame it as an issue of justice for residents of the United States of East Asian descent who have now been victimized by, by this. Look, this country does not have a very good history of separating these two things. George W. Bush Actually, went out of his way, you know, uh, in in I think a much more forceful way than President Trump or Vice President Pence have done in drawing a line between Muslims in America and so-called Islamic terrorism or or, or, terrorism uh, from radical Islam. Now, the uh, the fact is that in spite of that. Turbaned Sikhs, who are not, by the way, Muslims, and even if they were, this wouldn't, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, be be acceptable. They were gunned down in the streets of American cities in the aftermath, not only of September 11th, but also of the San Bernardino attack. Uh, so this country does not Which have was a good many years of, later. Of, of,
2: it's um, right. I mean, we many, talk about nine eleven as a discrete event, but the ramifications are still felt by that, by that community to this day.
0: That's absolutely correct. Right. So I worry about uh, that. That said. Yeah. Yeah. That said, I mean, I think there has been some progress. I think that, that there are now a lot of people who will immediately call out uh, people who, 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 uh, you know, regard anyone wearing the hijab as a potential terrorist, right? It
1: just just strikes me as maybe not really, I mean, what you're saying to me, to be perfectly frank, seems to me to be not learning lessons from history because let's take the example of um, Muslim-appearing Americans. You know, I think it was important for them... For us to finally realize after 20 years of debate by a lot of people who had bravely challenged the dominant narrative that this was a war against Islam and there was a theocratic element to what we were doing, that really this was about oil and empire and military adventurism. That this was fundamentally a foreign policy issue which had spawned a domestic racism issue. And a domestic hate crime issue, and that the two were inextricably linked. And my takeaway from that, honestly, was that until we learned that those two were intimately connected, what I'm hearing from you in terms of needing to separate it or wishing that we could separate it, is to kind of do what Muslims were, or Muslim-appearing people were forced to do, which was to sort of conspicuously make themselves an exception. From say you know their home culture and stuff, and I've seen people do this online where they they fall into a thankful immigrant trope. And i I mean I, I'm a little bit more frank about this. I don't know how comfortable you are talking about this particular topic, but I think oh, of someone like Kazir Khan, who was you know asked by the Democratic Party to go to the Democrat to the D, to the convention and call out Trump as a racist. But meanwhile, he's supporting Hillary Clinton, who was the person who had pushed for the war that ended up killing his son. So I just find that it's just a, it's just a very tricky thing to say that w- the the thing that we need to learn from history is that we need to make exception of ourselves from the larger geopolitical issue. And I think that's isn't doesn't that amount to advising Chinese Americans to like disavow their Chinese ness and sort of you know, put on MAGA hat. I mean, funny enough, I just told my friend, my, my friend in Florida who has like a white wife. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm worried you're going to be targeted in Florida to wear a MAGA hat. I mean, those are the kind of things that I'm worried about is that we are going to have to make conspicuous exceptions of ourselves. And I don't know right. if that's necessarily a great thing. Well, teen, no, to I add could to, to your what you're tonight, saying, I, I would, be would able-
2: say a third leg to that. So to me, what I see is the urgency of a uh, third dimension to this. Um, when we talk about, we talk about how, how Muslim-appearing Americans have been targeted pretty much continually, more or less, over the last 20 years, um, there's, a, there's an element to that that is also tied in very closely to the idea of economic and social collapse. Right. So we see a resurgence um, of anti-Muslim sentiment that, uh, you know, that recent that tragically ended with the uh, ended, but um, flared up with the mosque shooting in New Zealand and other attacks across Europe and in the United States as well. And this is directly tied to a sense of global collapse, directly tied to economic collapse, some sense of lost sense of culture, history and an actual material need in this case. Um, And I I worry about this, I I think about this with relation to us, because here we are in lockdown, um, potentially staring down the barrel of a global depression. So it feels like in this case, the timeline is is very, very expedited. um, Because once we come out of this, we have no idea what kind of material conditions are going to be waiting for us on the other side of it. And it looks, by all measures, it looks like it's going to be very, very bad. So I worry about the potential for a sudden spike in overt violence uh, enacted upon You're, you're absolutely Americans. right.
0: You're absolutely right. And I think it's going to be made worse by the fact that so many Americans will readily pin uh, their economic woes on China. They will take up the Trumpian talking points about uh, intellectual property theft and about... Uh, um, Trade imbalances and unfair trade practices and uh, state-owned enterprise subsidies—all that stuff—they will absolutely right. take that up. And, and uh, I mean, the, akin the to... to blame China,
2: right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we've we've talked about we've dug into this a little bit—the connection between xenophobia, uh, anti-Asian racism, and a- and a- anti-Semitism. Um, That's right. And so I, I actually. So in this case, I mean, if the if scrutiny were to actually be placed on Asian-Americans, um, I worry that the fallout could actually be very bad. I mean, sitting here in 2020, I actually very much regret that one of our key pieces of media representation is a movie called Crazy Rich Asians. Um, <laughs> I really hate that. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so I actually if never
0: it, saw never saw the film. But I get your point. Yeah.
2: Here, I mean, somebody had posted a screenshot. You know, people are watching Netflix. Uh, Once you watch *Contagion*, *Contagion*, one person said, "Here's what they Netflix recommended we watch after *Contagion*, and it was *Crazy Rich Asians*."
0: Uh, (laughs) Seriously. Right. That Um, might not, I mean, just in defense of of, of the Netflix algorithm, that is based on on what else they know about you, not just on the movie you just watched. Right.
2: Uh, It's just the optics of that were mind-blowing. So a a movie about the rising wealth and power and cultural sophistication uh, of China against the backdrop of potential Western collapse. Um, By all, it looks like Asia will be coming out of this crisis in a much stronger economic Social and geopolitical position, uh, while we're watching the EU, uh, the Anglosphere and the EU basically crumble in front of our in front of our eyes. So once, sc- so
0: scrutiny. Let's, where do we let's actually get placed- to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get to that in a second. I want to speak first to, to Teens' point about you know, this suggestion that what I'm effectively asking uh, Chinese people to people Chinese is to publicly and loudly disavow China in the way. You know, you compared it to the way a lot of Muslims, uh, you know, felt compelled to, whether they did it or not, to, you know, disown uh, those those elements of, of you know, what the American public kind of saw as as the bad parts of Islam. No, I'm absolutely not saying that. In fact, I'm saying quite the opposite. I'm saying that that is neither here nor there. It is absolutely irrelevant. And it is not just Ethnic Chinese people who are being targeted in America. I mean, what the hell would a Japanese American of third or fourth generation uh, need to do? I mean, you think that if he's the racist attack is going to stop if he says, "Wait a minute, I, I I don't like the Chinese Communist Party. I you know I I think that you know the virus started there too. No, of course not. Come on. I mean, they're not yeah, going to I- ask you. Uh, your party affiliation. They're not going to ask you. Uh, are you? You know. Okay. So you're ethnically Chinese, but are you a supporter of the Chinese? <laughs> Where are you countries? really from?
2: Not. Right.
0: Right. I know. Uh, I mean, I I, I reject that. that.
2: So. I reject that line of reasoning. I, I understand the instinctive fear-based response, uh, but I actually reject that, and I would push back on anyone who sees that or feels compelled to do so. Uh, a on a purely Look. on a purely moral basis, um, by saying, "Oh no," I mean I, I I'm I am Korean American. I mean I've I faced my my share of you know the dirty looks and and harassment that is that has just become sprouted like mushrooms after a rain here, <clears throat> uh, and it's uh, but you, you you distance yourself. A doesn't doesn't do anything. So why bother? And B by doing so, you're tacitly saying. Oh, your 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 hate, your violence is actually is justified. I'm just not the right exactly. target. The target is over exactly. there. You want to look exactly. over there, uh, and that's something that I right. cannot abide by. Uh, like Asian American is a political identity. It's not an ethnic. It's not an ethnic identity. It's not a nationality. We're all nat- by nationality. We're all we're we're all Americans or diaspora. That doesn't matter. It's a political identity. In that sense, we all have to we all have to claim it as the unifying, as our un- as the unifying identity binding us throughout all of this.
0: Right. So you, you've you understood now, this is exactly why I avoid talking about these issues anywhere in proximity to my discussion about Trump's use of the Chinese virus. I, I just wanted right. to make that point from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I For me, it, it becomes even more burdensome because I am what they call a China watcher. I mean, what I do in my day to day is is all about uh, Chinese policy. So when I then take up a topic like, um, you know, violence directed against Asian Americans, there is an even greater tendency to conflate these things. And so I have to be especially loud about distancing myself from that. Not distancing, but you know, drawing a clear line. Now, I, I, there is no reason why I w- uh, I should not then go on to opine about these other things. I just want to make sure that people understand that what I say from that point on has nothing whatsoever to do with what I think about Trump's use of the word Chinese virus.
2: Uh,
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So um, Jessica raised, I think, a really great point about, um, you know, sort of collapsism and this difficult psychological moment that that Americans and and you know people from other that's developed Western countries are feeling right now. I mean, let's speak just just about the United States. We're at a weird time right now where you know for the last decade it's become obvious. Really, since since the the financial crisis, we've watched as a near peer competitor who's you know not just an economic competitor but also uh, a a military competitor and. Maybe to a lesser extent, a cultural competitor have has has has, you know emerged and looks like it has its shit together completely where we don't. Uh, That is really psychologically threatening, and that's going to produce just the kind of negative results that I mean consequences that we've been talking about. It's uh it's it's bad. I mean, it's a perfect storm, right? All these things are happening at the same time uh, as this virus and the. It's almost irresistible for an asshole like Trump to to try to use that to his advantage.
2: Yeah, I see it as a really dangerous moment. I mean, I saw that. I uh, at a, at a certain level, I do appreciate that he tried to uh, that he tried to speak out. Way too late. Way too little. Way too late. Of course. Um, and it, but it seems so self serving. Um, it's it, it felt to me like like cover your ass, right these right. ca- These assaults, they are rising. It seems like it's on the radar for every single every single uh, liberal publication that has an interest in taking Trump down. So it feels like there isn't actually any solid uh, solid cover. Uh, I mean, the New York Times is one of the prime, uh, the prime culprits of this. They spent January to March, basically, they spent three entire months, sla- completely slamming China and the Chinese as dirty, diseased incubators of uh, foreign disease, um, with a so with an authoritarian I don't think that's entirely dictatorship. Fair. I mean, I
0: Wait, L- that's no, an exaggeration, but, right?
2: But, but no, but but.
1: I think you actually it was your tweet, Kaiser, that I, I, I first know I was like, Oh, quite Kaiser's on Twitter. Didn't didn't you tweet out like a one story where you were like, Wow, this is really rate this is really race essentialist bullshit? Uh, it, it was a yeah. story in the New York Times about how this all related to Confucianism and mm-hmm.
0: you know uh, the, yeah. it was it was an op-ed and, uh, piece. And then I've also tweeted New York Times op-ed pieces that I thought were incredibly sensitive and smart. Uh, and I mean, like Ian Johnson's piece about uh, how China bought us time. Uh, there have yes, been a lot of very, great, very fair treatments. There, that there was a been... great thing.
1: But I, but what right, I'm so saying it's not, is that it's not
0: you can't you can't just put this on the entire media organization. I just don't think that that's fair. I think that no, there have but... been excellent. There's been also excellent reporting. Now, has there been atrocious reporting? Yeah, absolutely. There has been some. I think that the whole focus, you know, the single-minded focus on you know regime type as as the fact the determining factor in China's response and its sluggish response, and you know that kind of obsession with that 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 was that was stupid. There was a lot of Orientalist bullshit we've talked about. You know the you you gross. You know they, they eat bats or whatever. Um, and and then there's also been a lot of you know I mean probably what what, what really bothered me was just that kind of nakedly uh, joyful r- reporting about how. You know, uh, this is an existential threat to Xi's legitimacy, and now we're going to see the collapse of the Chinese Communist Party. Right, turning it as a geopolitical
2: they- tool. Talking about the virus strictly in terms of geopolitics, saying this is a test of Xi's regime, this is a test for communism, and you know, it, by contrast, look at how great we are. we are prepared for this. We liberal Western liberal democracies will be the ones to come out ahead um, in this in this crisis um ironically and, and also
1: i think there's a sorry i i just want to i just want to say i think there's a little bit of that's a little bit of a false balance we're striking to say look you can't say that the new york times is doing a bad job when only half their stories are shit you know like we can't say it's, it's just two-sided things where it's like, look, they're, they're doing a lot of <clears throat> race-essentialist stuff, but on the other hand, they're doing some responsible reporting. Like, I read Ian Johnson's article and I thought it was objective and fair, and that's what they should be doing. I don't know if that necessarily means that it cancels out just terrible reporting that they're doing or terrible op-ed that shades into racism. And I think that as a Chinese-American... When I see race essentialist stuff being written about it, I find it very personally difficult. And I don't know if I feel like I should f- feel any sort of obligation to separate myself out from what's being said. I think that's the difficulty in what I'm hearing from you about how we have to try and draw a distinction because, like, it, it when I read stuff about how Chinese culture has a long history of being. Uh, the cradle of epidemics is, you know, like discuss is China really like you know um, the source of all disease? Uh, is how, how does a Chinese American or an Asian American read that and not feel both personally sort of attacked by that? And how do you distance yourself from that? I think is the the practical question I have is like how how well, exactly I, do we see that as some, somehow separate?
0: I've worked in media organizations long enough to know that all the big American media organizations are not remotely monolithic. That's why they have bylines. You can sort of see who the individual writers are. Uh, the editorial page, we know who sits on the editorial board. Usually op-eds are also signed. So we we, we know that these are the products of individuals. I don't think that I'm ready to, to lay it at the feet of an institution, especially one uh, as sprawling that has to put out so much stuff every day uh, as the New York Times. Are there race essentialist elements? Absolutely, there 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 are. I just don't think that it really helps to, to sort of vilify an entire organization. Just, you know, we can be more granular than that. We can look at, uh, you know, the individual no, stories that's... and the individual writers.
2: Yeah, no, that that's exactly where I wanted to go with that, actually. So if we wanted to leave off discussion of the institution you know the new york times itself um then I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on specific writers who um who seem to be playing pretty troubling roles within these institutions um i have in front of me right here an, an opinion uh piece uh, written in february 20 of this year uh it's it's called why did the coronavirus outbreak start in china and it's by yi zhang lian um, so a, a hong kong it its his byline says a former chief editor of the hong kong economic journal uh, so i presume he's uh, he's he's from hong kong um
0: yeah and that was I, one of the worst one of the worst pieces right. that i i'd seen yeah
2: so, uh, I mean, just I mean, just given that where we are, you know, given given the purpose of Plan A, I guess it, it is a it is a particular topic of interest to me to oh. examine and scrutinize uh, these individual players who, who become part of, quote, the establishment. Um, so uh, what, what do you what do you feel when you see an article like this that's uh, that's basic that's promoting some obscene Orientalism? Um and it's well, I mean, and I, it's I, almost and in in this day and age it's almost politically unassailable because the writer is himself uh chinese
0: uh, look, look self orientalization does not spare you from the charge of orientalizing I mean it's not <laughs> right look look i the, in this case, it's funny because probably the most cogent and forceful response to that came from somebody who. Is uh, a friend of mine, but who is usually on the other side of these things on, on a lot of issues. In, in other words, is usually really more than happy to take whatever cudgel is at hand and beat China with it. But he went after this piece by saying, and I think this is this is the perfect response, that administer a little test. If you can swap out Byzantium or you can swap out, you know, uh, ancient Greece or ancient Rome or whatever, any other civilization, Persia, uh, India in place of of this ancient civilization whose cultural roots are, you know, apparently uh, showing themselves now, then it's bullshit, right? And in this case, the argument that that guy made, uh, you could have said exactly the same thing swapping out for any other sort of uh, classical civilization. And it would have also been bullshit so yeah i mean it failed that in terms
2: of like we're coming into a pretty critical time in that case then uh then would you say that if you wanted to if if you if you're not comfortable um critiquing you know the politics of an entire organization which you say are extremely uh diverse in viewpoint um and can't be uh, may not be able you may not be able to characterize intent uh quite the quite the way we're doing here then is it is it the ethical thing to do to then just uh, to hold these individuals to account?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the right thing to do is to is to loudly and forcefully criticize uh, on the available social media channels that we have. Write letters to the editor. And do what we've always done. I don't think that um, going after the whole organization it just makes you seem like a like a crank.
2: Okay, so so someone and who I has worked nobody, nope. inside then um do I the mean, work
0: just just do the work you know actually critique the arguments um and you know don't don't stoop to ad hominem and go after the individual in for anything except for the arguments that he or she makes oh and, of course
2: yeah no we're not attacking the person specifically it's just if you um it's hard not to see you know the political utility of an asian face uh an asian voice willing to say Uh, willing to blame Confucianism for for wet markets and exotic animal meat trade. Um, It's hard not to see the political... there, There, there. There
1: are people, there seriously are people who, over time, you clearly know what their agenda is or what their viewpoints are. And at some point, I don't think it's necessarily like vilifying this person as a human being, but it is to say like, look, this person writes regularly and they have a particular viewpoint. And That's it's right. it's a pattern that doesn't exist necessarily within the four corners of this one piece, but it's a worldview. Um, you know, like I think the same has been said about a lot of uh, you know op-ed writers and columnists who have taken views on say the Iraq War or Afghanistan, and over time sure, you, sure. you learn that this person has a particular worldview that can be critiqued as a whole. And I don't see why that should be any different for people who write about. China or you know relations mm-hmm. with China. Um, sure, no, that's that that's a fair sense.
0: point. That's yeah. a fair point. I mean, as long as it stays within the boundaries of what that that person's particular move, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Look, I I think that um, when it comes to these these large media organizations, there's another hour long conversation that we could have about all that's wrong with media coverage of China, and it's not just limited to, to uh, the coronavirus or, or issues like that. But, would you come
2: back to yeah, have that talk with us? That is something we would very much absolutely, like to do.
0: Happily, happily, happily. I could, I mean, I something I think about constantly. Uh, so happy to do that. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to, to your point, uh, Jess, you, you talked about how uh, ha- enlisting that Asian face to say these things that are critical. That is, That is a serious problem. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there are an awful lot of people who, whether they're from mainland China, or from Taiwan, or, or especially from Hong Kong, who uh, have used this uh, issue conveniently uh, to garner support for their other causes. Whether they're you know um, localists in Hong Kong or uh, pro-Taiwan independence activists, and they've they've in some cases just made. Um, just sort of obscured the fact that these other things are on their agenda, and, right? You know, I've seen that this too. As an opportunity um, to beat on China yeah, uh, yeah of like it.
2: you see in social media like comment sections you, you'll see somebody from say hong kong or taiwan um really railing hard against china uh but then quietly oh, yeah. k- kind of su- like submerging the fact that they are from taiwan or china or counting on the fact that the majority of people who are reading this will not will not understand the geopolitical uh tensions that that are going uh, that's uh, playing out in that exactly region. Um, so, and then it's, they, so they can too, point to that and then, person
0: and say, "Well, see my Chinese friend yeah. over there; he's <laughs> he's willing to say Chinese virus because that's just a fact because it's just a Chinese virus."
2: Right, right. right. Um, God. Dude,
1: we've seen Andrew Yang do this; like he tweeted out an article <laughs> about how, like you know, we shouldn't get too upset about what we call the virus. What matters is Trump's uh, response. You know, stuff like this. And oh, Christ. it's uh. I'm just wondering, you know. As I just don't
0: know. I didn't see that, but that that's disappointing.
1: It is disappointing, and he's done many disappointing things on his campaign, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, sorry, Kaiser. I think you were you were addressing that this this issue about you know using uh, well. I guess what I want to I want to kind of dig into that <laughs> a little because I think that's exactly the kind of pressure that I see is there is a there is this sort of perspective that some asian americans chinese americans take where it's like our our status as chinese americans like just doesn't it doesn't factor it's not something that we can uh, use to inform our opinions like we've got to sort of decontextualize ourselves and be a kind of man from nowhere or woman from nowhere
0: in talking yeah, about Yeah, I understand this. that. You That's know. regrettable. I, I uh-huh. agree, and I, it's it's in, in the best world that wouldn't be the case. But right now we have to perform a kind of triage. We have to understand what are our absolute priorities. And right now it's people who are being physically violently attacked just on the basis of their skin color because they have straight black hair and epicanthic eye folds. Okay? This is this is the priority number one. And after the triage, we need to basically say, what is the most efficacious treatment for this? And I found that it works better for me to argue, pretending that I am not even Chinese American, but that I'm Korean American or Vietnamese American or Japanese American and make the arguments from that point of view, because anytime you step into uh what Zhao Jian said, or, uh, you know, whether uh, China is ultimately culpable, or uh, Li Wenliang, you know, the, the ophthalmologist who was silenced after blowing the whistle on the early outbreak. Anytime you bring up any of these things, your argument loses force. That's the regrettable reality.
2: That's true, Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to clarify, Jin is uh, was he like like uh, interior minister? Like no, he's no. a so minor he was official, former like ambassador.
0: I mean. He was former ambassador to Pakistan, and now he's just foreign ministry spokesperson, right? I see. And yeah, there and have he's, been developments he's been in that story. Putting out
1: what I consider conspiracy theories about the real source. I mean, he is not an epidemiological expert. No, you know he he doesn't. I don't. I don't believe he has any better understanding or more expert understanding of the actual source of COVID-19, but he has been saying right. a lot about
2: it. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I this see this is kind of, of retaliating with the geopolitical, um, the politicization of this virus that the, that the United States actually started first, the Anglosphere at large. Started first that's way right. back in January and December. That's exactly it. So it's kind yeah. of a counter. It may not be the most sophisticated counter, but that's that's the that is the uh, layer of meaning that he is operating in, saying like, okay, okay. Sure, I,
0: I would go beyond that and say it's it was it was a counterproductive counter. It was
2: right. Okay. It
0: it really actually it backfired badly. It was a, a terrible terrible idea. Uh, as kind of a veteran PR guy uh, who has had to face a lot of sort of geopolitical context in dealing with with this, I, this is the last thing I would have advised that he do. That said, I completely understand uh, what this whole thing has looked like from a Chinese person's perspective. I mean, of course, they're very upset about this. Of course, they... At some level, want the U.S. to get its comeuppance. Of course, they they want to to be vindicated. Of course, they want to be recognized for the suffering they went through. Of I mean, could you dig into that prob-
2: a little a little bit? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely, well. sure. So,
0: I I think that that it's you know, look, all human beings have the capacity of empathy, right? So, just exercise a little goddamn empathy for what it feels like to have been a Chinese person. Two for, for months have been the country absolutely on the front line of fighting this epidemic and watching as the rest of the world thought, not my problem, right? Oh, yeah. it was disgusting. There were, you know- I,
2: mean, I mean, I remember seeing back yeah, in mean, January, course. February, um, the, the footage of people, people in Wuhan, you know, uh, standing on their balconies, shouting, singing, you know, trying to be a community, you know, all the uh, things of... Pe- Clips of you know TikToks of what people were doing in lockdown, um, and it was just relentless. You see the comments, and it's just you know this is either propaganda if it's positive, or a sign of brutalization if it's if it's uh, if it's someone's expressing distress, uh, right? Saying they're having a tough time with quarantine, they really want to go out, and you'll immediately see somebody say, "Oh yeah, they're they're railing against, they're trying to slip out some message of dissent against their brutalist their brutal dictatorship." Um, right and then you see I mean, and then when it hit how, italy how tr-
0: unbelievably yeah annoying that is right yeah and it's so a com- you, I'm, I'm to me you... it's a
2: complete dehumanization you, you're you're not able to see this person uh as a person with whom you can you have similar enough personhood to share an, to share an emotion
0: you've said it and illustrated it better than i i could um i would just say that because of all this i totally get why you know, watching Beijing taking a tougher line, you know, watching Jolly Jin make the sorts of oblique accusations that he he's made. Watching, you know, China sort of take a victory lap right now. Watching the kind of, you know, natural Schadenfreude that's dripped off of this. I I get why that is less objectionable to Chinese people. Uh, I get why often they're very supportive of it. I get why you know, they think those journalists who got expelled had it coming. I, I, I get all that.
2: Could you talk about the Not that because I One thing it, that but... I felt felt was severely lacking in the media reporting, uh, the situation in China, in South Korea, uh, Japan, is uh, any lack of um, reporting on the ground, right? What actually what people were. Uh, what people were actually thinking and feeling. So, in that respect, unless, of course, it's people who are who are not happy with how the government is handling it, then we've so got.
0: I, I, again, I think that's not true. That's just not true. I, okay. There's I'll, been some outstanding reporting, I'll, I'll including that. from the New York Times. L- look at the piece that's that Lee wrote. A- yeah. So a sure, lot of I'll, these journalists, I'll
2: if if you could if you could actually if you could do us a favor and link us to some of the, uh, the good reporting sure. that you've seen, I think that would be a really helpful resource um, for people. There were reporters
0: um, in, in the the Times uh, Bureau in in the Washington Post Bureau who went to the heart of this in in the thick of it into Wuhan and reported from hospitals there. I mean, they risked okay. their lives to pull out exactly these kinds of human stories. Um, Amy Chin for example I mean there was actually there, there was leave. a like, good one, one in a,
2: New York Times yeah there was
1: no Jess I, could th- I, I can think of one where it was like two it was two yeah, I that's believe what I'm thinking that's right. workers one, that's both right. a, who contracted it and then I believe one that, who was. Died. Exactly. that was an excellent article I agree so yeah let's l- uh, but, but by and large I think there
0: has been an um, empathy gap um, so, um, but that's but, not but yeah. what I actually I, wanted I mean, to get at I don't think the empathy gap
2: oh sorry continue
0: yeah I don't think the empathy gap is, is really to be laid at the feet of the media. They, they've they got a lot of stories they need to cover. It is an important story to cover uh, what went wrong. It is important to figure out the timeline of who knew what when. That is something that reporters should be doing. Now, again, uh, this is one of those topics that we can get into You know, for an hour, and I'm, again, happy to do that with you guys sometime. But... Accurate reporting does not lead necessarily to realistic reporting. So a lot of these stories they did were accurate. You know, when, when you or me, when we read the New York Times or the Washington Post here in the United States, aren't we happy to see adversarial reporting? Aren't we happy to see them speak truth to power and take the administration task? Now we just have to ask ourselves, does that same adversarial approach, does that work when it comes to international coverage was that work with foreign correspondents because i can read all those really adversarial stories in the times or the post and realize that uh, that's only part of it that i i am not going to open my window and smell tires burning in the street that i'm you know i'm still going going to have well, you know before covid-19 a pretty normal life <laughs> that i'm going to you know go to costco and, and be able to buy toilet paper, and, you know, a, a normal life. Um, and and th- that doesn't work with China because, you know, so many of the stories mix, you know, eight out of 10 stories that you read in the paper in a given day are going to be negative. But, you know, they're not going to write about the bridges that don't collapse. They're not going to write about the planes that land safely. They're not going to, you know, it's only once in a while they're going to do a sufficiently compelling human interest story to rehumanize people. But that doesn't mean that the negative stories that they're writing are not true. It's just this is a structural problem. This is, you know, it's the optical properties of this lens through which most of us see China. What it takes is understanding those optical properties and adjusting for it. I, I mean, I, I use this this analogy all the time. If I'm spear fishing atop a a, a clear stream and there's a big fat, you know, trout or whatever in the stream, if I aim my spear directly at the trout, I'll miss because, you know, the the light gets refracted. If I understand how the light is refracted, the sunlight, the angle, all that stuff, and adjust for it, I'll I'll spear the fish. So you just have to sort of know how media reporting out of any other country tends to skew what they're – Privileges and prejudices and and presuppositions are uh, what their agenda is You know, you have to understand all that stuff, but you can it's possible and
1: But I I, but 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 that's hard to do when we're hearing stuff like you have to understand that, you know uh, Media media companies are not monolithic and they 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 represent a diversity of opinions and you can't characterize them one way or another It's kind of (laughs) that I I think that
0: those those are ultimately reconcilable uh, (laughs) That, like, can it know, be it,
2: refocused just- on uh, sure. instead of saying okay, let's not let's 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 not examine China reporting necessarily under a microscope, um, isolated from the rest, but here we are sitting in late March of 2020. Uh, the U.S. has had at this point um, about three three whole months of notice that uh, that a pandemic was brewing, um, and if uh, and sitting from and just i've been going through you know um headlines that i've screenshotted articles that i've read in the past three months on this topic uh and the conclusion that i have come to is that um this reporting uh actually turned into a was a blind spot um
0: Hmm. yeah that, yeah, I that see the
2: severity mean. that the severity of the pandemic was obscured by the geopoliticization the politicization of this virus as some ge- as some political and ideological conflict between you know Western liberal democracy and Chinese autop you know communist autocracy basically. Um, so the so the my main cri- criticism there is um, you know in. In trying to reconcile those two, what ended up who ended up losing was the American public in this case.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah. I, I, I think I think one of the articles that that aged the worst was this Atlantic article that basically just straight out said democracies are going to be better at handling this than, uh, you know, the that's right. You put your finger on it. Uh, Ian Johnson wrote. We we brought up that Ian Johnson article, which I thought was really well written. A little bit too late. That was a hindsight is 2020 kind of article, but they weren't allowing that narrative to come out in, you know, late January, February. So, you know, I think I think I absolutely agree with Jess. I think the media did not apply enough pressure on on the administration to take this seriously. It, It allowed the administration, if you look at the whole of the of the, you know, of the narrative that was coming out, it allowed the White House to sit pretty on the idea, you know, Wilbur Ross going out on CNBC saying, this is actually going to be really good for American jobs because Ameri- China's going to get decimated. And yeah, because all the companies. Chinese factory no, workers are going to well. die. They were allowed this narrative. Um, yeah, they were allowed this narrative because, uh, in my opinion, the media did not take what Wilbur-, Wilbur Ross said and sound the alarms going, if we have an administration that's going out saying this, we're fucking doomed. <laughs> we, like, I right. didn't see yeah, that so, pushback. So I- you know what I mean, and it's it's like it's hard for me to maintain a sort of balanced view about what's going on. Like I have, they and, fucked up. And the media was a big arm <laughs> of this. So
2: I, I mean, I, I see I see a bridge to what you're saying. Um, uh, when you're saying, you know, we we we've we are conditioned to respond um, well to a very critical, aggressive tone taken to our own government. Uh, And then, you know, how would we reconcile that with reporting on, you know, foreign, on foreign lands? Um, And for this particular instance, I feel like we got that reversed. Um, We were more aggressive litigating China's response, South Korea's response, um, even when it got to Europe, Italy's response, uh, than we ever were on our own, our own potential response. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. You're you're right. Uh, I think... uh, Teen, teen, is right. It's it's a blind spot. You're absolutely right that uh, we, the media, has, has conspicuously failed to to do that. Um, I don't think this excuses what they've done, but um, maybe since we're talking about exercising a little empathy, um, my empathy for for the journalists is that look, a lot of them, for very good reasons, are invested in this idea. Uh, you know, they, they they see this package of enlightenment you know, uh, values, including uh, republicanism and democracy and and a a free press as a bundle. And they're invested in defending that, especially when they're reporting from uh, a country that has gotten even more uh, draconian in its treatment of the foreign press. So, yeah, they 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 really over focused on uh, the failings of that particular regime type and very few of them we brave enough to stand up early on and, uh, and say, maybe it's not about about the fact that China is an authoritarian country. But look, they did they they ran this stuff early on, uh, very very early in the in the outbreak before it had even come to the United States in any meaningful way. Uh, the Washington Post ran an excellent op ed uh, that talked about how actually China's regime type will help it in in a lot of ways in addressing this pandemic. Uh, it wasn't a pandemic then, but addressing the epidemic. Uh, that was by a, a woman who had a lot of years of experience in China uh, as the head of the Ford Foundation, Joan Kaufman. The, there were there's, I mean, yes, you're right. The overall tone, uh, it didn't respond uh, with the what we now recognize should have been blindingly obvious that that we would also be facing this in a significant way. I mean, it right. was... You're right.
1: I, I think. I think, though, that point about. I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, upset about the whole damn thing. But I think this whole point about these journalists that have a legitimate investment in a whole bundle of Enlightenment views. Uh, the problem with that is that p- that bundle doesn't include expertise in epidemiology. So when I see Brett <laughs> Stevens going into the New York Times, second guessing uh, Anthony Fauci, saying that Fauci has A history and a bias towards overreaction uh, that we don't need to be like all draconian, as Fauci has suggested. And now I see the press actually starting to second guess Fauci to say, oh, uh, it sounds like he's just, uh, you know, making excuses for Trump and stuff like None of these. Pe- Why are these people even writing about this? This isn't. A, a, this isn't an yeah. enlightenment question. This is a fucking epidemiological crisis. We should be hearing from epidemiologists, not Brett Stevens. You know what I mean? Like, that's the. That's the level at which I'm really annoyed at the media. Is they're putting like think tank people here to tell us about what to think about an epidemiological public health pandemic, and I don't really give a shit what they think, to be honest. And, but that's the only voice that I mean. Okay. I'm dealing in absolutes, okay, but I'm saying that is absolutely the kind of, you know, opinion that has been elevated above other voices and it's been a crime against humanity, a crime against Americans for us to constantly be hearing from think tank people. At while question like allowing them to question science, I haven't heard anything from like Chinese epidemiologists or South Korean epidemiologists or even American epidemiologists, really, compared to how much I'm hearing from Brett Stevens and other think tankish type people. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I think you're drawn annoying. to
0: reading the pieces that will outrage you, though. <laughs> uh.
1: Well, no, I read a lot. I've read the stuff that you said is good, but there's just not enough of it.
0: Sure. I mean, no. There's it's never it's enough. Of the just stuff not that's enough. Great.
1: Because I, my opinion is that the think tank stuff should be dialed down to one or zero
0: right now. Because I don't need to hear what uh, who, who would about be doing the dialing down. That's the question, right? I mean, the
1: editors at the New York Times, the editors at the, uh, at the Wall Street they don't Journal. Need a, yeah, we, we don't need to hear from these people right now. Like of all I the mean, people, like I'd rather be hearing from like you know, so, why aren't scientists writing more? That's, right. you know,
0: it's funny. I mean, because when you when you're saying this, I I hear basically. Uh, in in sort of on on fast forward, the same arguments that we've been having about climate change. I mean, it's yeah, the same. Exactly. How are we allowing Very this? So. This you know these right? So, but but we should we should be just as alarmed. Maybe this is a lesson that we'll take away from this: is that uh, we we ought to be <laughs> taking the climate deniers more to task and stop with this sort of false equivalence idea uh, in media representation. Yeah,
2: I mean, I I struggle yeah. with the sense of um just loss here. Um, I mean, I was pr- I was reading, I was very engaged, and yet at the same time, sitting here in late March, um, uh, I mean, I think about what's been going on, um, and I consider myself a pretty engaged person, and yet you know I look back at you know the media coverage the last three months, and it's like what the fuck, um, what the fuck happened yeah. here? Um, I mean now I'm sc- I'm scrolling back through you know articles that I've saved, and it's you know. February 24th, um, democracies are better at fighting outbreaks. Um, January 29th, China's political system is eventually going to damage the world by accident or by intent. Um, (laughs) March, as the Communist Party cements control, more officials worry about pleasing their bosses than taking care of the people. And then finally, March 19th, wow. we come to the we come to a certain ideological tipping point for me, which is rethinking the coronavirus shutdown. No society can safeguard public health for long at the cost of its economic health. Not even written by a person. Oh, no. This is the entire editorial board of The Wall yes. Street Journal.
0: Well, it's The Wall Street Journal. I mean, they are just yeah. undiluted capitalists, right? So,
1: Well, even, so, even Cuomo not has known been, for been talking their about humanitarian yeah. concern.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, no, even so FOMO at this, point, been this we can't like everything we'd been saying that China was doing to their people was actually the playbook for what we we're doing to ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, so, I, like, I, I obviously can't help but, but feel that as well. I, God, uh, again, you know, so, we, we seem determined to learn everything wrong from China, and and nothing right from China. It's just, it's unbelievable how we have mirrored that same kind of initial denial and cover ups and uh, over politicization of it, and then failed to learn uh, to use the full mobilizational capacity of the state to actually meaningfully address this damn thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, if that Wall Street Journal headline had been written because China had, had come out and said that. Uh, if if uh, if she had come out in a in a uh, in, you know on stage and said no uh, no society can safeguard public health at the expense of its economic health, we'd be putting boots on the ground. We'd be seeing calls for war with China <laughs> if China had said that. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Um. So you're absolutely uh, right.
0: No, that's an excellent point. I mean, that's a that's a very fair point.
2: So I guess so um so when you come at the media hard on this, uh, I guess it's not. Um, and I hope we're not, I hope it doesn't come like we're putting you on the spot here. It's just uh it's it's thinking through how to respond to to this overwhelming crush of uh, ideologically driven um co- consensus on this. I mean for, now that we're all in lockdown, well, what are we going to do? We're using we we have to go through the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, all of, these shape our understanding of what's going on in the world. Um, and they're just such big blind spots that we can't recognize until it's way too late that I just, I, it's hard to understand, uh, what can be done. Um, and particularly well, for we're, Asian we're Americans who are now, going to right be. We're doing right now,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, su- right I now we're, is... we're creating a media counter narrative, right? I mean, right now we're that... pushing back on that right now. I mean, that's exactly what we are doing, what we've been doing for the last hour and we should continue that's... to do that. I, I that's, uh, find that's, that's, it very that's strange to be in in the position of defending, and this is a, maybe a first for me, defending you know in, to in, to some extent at least uh, media coverage of China. But I mean, usually I'm the person on the front lines, you know, taking them to task for it. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, you have very good new. I mean, we we wanted you on because you were able to have um, a, a, a you know a systems level approach to how to talk about these things. Um. I guess one question that I did have is um, uh, f- what has the anglophone media narrative looked like from you know th- from China's perspective or a Chinese person's perspective <coughs> I know you can't speak for all 1.6 billion but uh, I mean it was interesting to note that you know in the middle of this pandemic one one thing that kind of slipped under the radar a bit was the expulsion of, of journalists um, by China right and right? um, and the thing that I that I I thought then was like, well, I'm surprised it took this long. I'm sure China knows how the media is reporting on them. Uh, I'm sure they know how the U.S. specifically is reporting on China, China's response to the pandemic, etc. Um, and it was a topic. Yeah. It was something that was uh, on my mind. You know, like what would what's China think of
1: about of this? But also, but for, just for to just to that question, I think we should at least frame it the way like say a Reuters had reported it, which was sort of like the fuller story, which is that that expulsion was a direct, and, like supposedly proportional response right. to the capping of the number of foreign journalists that Chinese outlets could have in right, the right, U.S. Yeah. That, was how, that was how Reuters reported it. So,
2: Right. I mean, that's that's a fact on the, that's China did not fire first. The U.S. has been clamping down on Chinese journalist activity in the United States, and in retaliation, they tossed out the, uh, what was it, the uh, foreign foreign press from a cer- few number of key international publications? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, so I'm not just, just parroting U- U.S.
0: citizens, U.S. citizens from three news organizations, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, which is bad enough. Look, I, I'm certainly not going to defend that. I, I don't defend it. I think that it's actually shooting themselves in the foot. I think that it's it's a bad uh, outcome for well, everyone involved. Well, I'm also not what, that well, interested what, what, what in, in was, who fired first.
2: Well, I'm kind but of curious the, what the thought process would be. Um, so when you know, it, so when so, so when it was announced in China that these reporters were being expelled, um, I think I think
0: nobody has any p- illusions about this. Every it's very very clear that the expulsions were which were announced. Mere hours after Trump's press conference in which he used Chinese virus, so this mm-hmm. is th- these things are directly related. Uh, he was uh, already sort of in, in a, w- a war over Chinese journalists because, as you mentioned, uh, these other things, the earlier expulsions to which uh, the U.S. Uh, responded by capping the number of journalists and, and effectively out, out, you know, kicking out sixty of them. From state-owned news organizations in China, uh, in the U.S., uh, that was itself a response to uh, the refusal by the, the Wall Street Journal to apologize for the use of that Walter Russell Mead headline, uh, "Sick Man of Asia." I don't know if you guys remember that. I do. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, which, which, which prompted I remember a lot
1: of other bullshit right, and, stuff and, and, that the Wall and, Street Journal did. But yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. And then China expelled. Uh, three Wall Street Journal journalists' response to, to that. So it, there's been a pretty granular little level t- for tat. There's another theory, and I don't discredit it entirely, I that says China, you know, wants to do this because they have something that they want to hide. They want to be able to make announcements of, you know, zero new cases except for import cases, and they don't want to be under as much scrutiny about these claims. I don't know how much to believe that but it's it's plausible too. I I I, look,
2: I guess the, the when when we as asian americans or asians in in you know the western western countries um look at that. I guess it's hard to be able to separate political from personal in this case. Like understanding that there is a much bigger geo- geopolitical uh game being played between two two of the biggest world powers uh and not internalize us not internalize this fight um right it seems like right. you've you've come to um i say a lot of that right so so it's it would be you know an angry probably scared asian-american person who sees this and is like fuck yeah yeah kick those kick those colonizers out you know kick kick them out uh, and that's that's it. That's the that's uh, it's it's almost a personal response. It's right? like a personal vindication for uh, their own um, their own racial traumas from being here. Um,
1: which 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 makes sense in that even our own State Department has directly said that part of the problem here is that China is not Caucasian right K- you're talking about Kyron
0: skinner Kyron skinner's yeah. comments yeah and she didn't, and she, she I didn't directly was, say I, that I, it was part of the problem i mean i i found her her comments to be no, completely it, that, objectionable but but i, I don't think that I she said
1: i i thought what she said was great because she what she said if you listen to the whole speech was that the reason that this has become particularly thorny is because the you know this is a non-caucasian opponent and the state department is dominated by white men that was the part that they didn't report on That she Hmm. said. So I thought what she said was great. Uh, But she basically admitted that there is a race problem here in terms of how we're dealing with China. So, as to what going to what Jess said, that's why I do have a hard time separating out what's said about China as being purely political and outside the realm of the interpersonal, et cetera. Because if you were to listen to the State Department and what they're saying, you know, their own staff is saying, that is part of it. You know? I
2: mean, and, and then you combine that Chiron Skinner with uh, Mike Pence's speech, right, which basically implies that there is an enormous shadow network of Chinese espionage permeating sure. uh, American society. Um, the, the implication is pretty clear there. We're, we all carry some stain of allegiance to the CCP by virtue right. of the color of our skin in this case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's
0: uh, no different from again you, the anti-semitic uh comparisons are very i mean are are really salient here and I'm you know I hearken also back to Japanese internment. it's very much the same
2: mm-hmm. so where do you see i'm sorry so I mean I guess to someone who might be who might be listening who um is dealing with that um what what would you have to say to them and how to balance personal and political? Uh, in, in an instance like this, when those lines, that line may not even exist anymore between the two. Um, but it is important to still be critical and keep a broad perspective on what you see, not internalize it immediately as a um, as a personal matter. Right.
0: Yeah, I've never really regarded it as my my duty to, <laughs> to instruct people on how they should, you know, uh prioritize their their emotions or, or I, I can't really speak to that I I don't do it myself I mean I look for me um, I'm, I'm living proof that it's possible to be profoundly disappointed with both the countries with which I or, or you know cultures with which I identify right now I I it's hard for me to express how disappointed I am in so many of, of so much of the ugliness that's shown in America since I've been back and so hard for me to, to to fully express how profoundly disappointed I am so much about the current Chinese administration too. So God, I mean, I, we don't have to take sides. We can say, fuck you to both of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I, you know, yes, I, I wish that were true, but when you're dealing with two sides that are trying to go to war with each other at some level, uh, there's no such thing as not picking sides. That's that's like we're in a way we're forced into it, and it's. I, I would like to maintain. I mean, I personally would love to stay out of it, but eventually, like it comes to a point where like you know, there's only two sides here, and to to not pick a side is to not exist. And I think we were talking about earlier about triage, uh, the, this notion that what matters now is triage and making sure that people are protected and safe and stuff. And I would say, you know for me looking at the experience of muslim and muslim appearing people since 9 11 that triage has lasted till the present day it's been 20 years of triage and in the meantime i think that there's a profound effect that that has on the mental well-being of people that are forced to sort of you know stay mum or stay neutral or stay out of it because everyone else is basically litigating your fate and right. i i do, do i don't take a lot of I mean, I, I do agree that there's an immediate short game and there's a long game, but I think we do need to address long game. I come out on the side that what we really need to do is really refocus on internal reforms in America, that we that there is a historical precedent to say when a country starts blaming its problems on a foreign entity, be it a foreign people or a foreign country or a foreign regime, that's trouble.
0: Yeah, and yeah I, I absolutely is, agree, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think like I, I I think that for Chinese Americans or Asian Americans, the long game is to really support the those who are, you know, like say Bernie supporters. I know you're not a Bernie supporter, but that people who are really saying this country needs sev- like really take a look at itself and its, and reform its own systems. That, in my opinion, and just my personal opinion, is the best outcome. Is the best strategy. It's just let's not blame any foreign entity for our problems. You know, because we've been doing that for too long. Ever since 9-11, it's just been non-stop, you know, yeah, xenophobia. And I, can and, you know. I can absolutely get behind that.
0: I can absolutely get behind that. Except for yeah. Bernie. While pop.
2: our yeah. own country crumbled. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I'm not, I, I have complicated feelings on Bernie. It's just the, the extreme poverty of options on the table is is just is disgusting to me at such sure, a core sure. level. Um, and yet...
0: Yeah, it's, And yet, Mm -hmm. and yet, you know, come November, those options are stark. I mean, we Uh, we still we know what to do, right? So that's all it comes down to. Yeah, I'm just—I mean, you guys have the envy your youth, but uh, I'm in in that sort of advanced middle age and into the pragmatism thing. I mean, it's just like we got to play the hand we're dealt right now. (laughs)
1: You're also a parent, right? I think that's, that's that, right. that really complicates
2: things. And, that's that very. Yeah. That probably is is more of a complication than uh, than age in that case. We're probably not that far apart in age. Um, it's just uh, for me, my <laughs> life has been punctuated by 9/11, <laughs> 08, and now a pandemic. It's it's like I have I have no idea how to. Like, so ten, basically, ten years, every ten years, is a complete for me a complete social upending of what normal means. Um, yeah. Yeah which this I one think is the
1: biggest one in my opinion.
2: I think so. I mean, we're like, This this I is mean, a big one. Really, this is a
0: huge one. I, yeah. none of us are really ready for it. It's just uh,
2: I mean, no one can see yeah. it oh, quite Christ. yet. We're all we're all we're all handling no. we're, all hand, we're trying to handle triage one big problem, but there's another one coming down the pike very that or it's already here, but we're all in lockdown and we can't really we're not really engaged with that one yet. Um and I right, I just right. keep worrying. I don't I don't have a solid plan. I just I just I just don't see it uh, being good for Asian Americans. I think this is one of the biggest crises in modern times, and we are the face of it. Um, so thanks a lot, everyone who wanted media representation. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much.
1: Did you see what Dave Chang, uh, the chef, tweeted? He was like, I feel seen, but not in a good way. <laughs> 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 I that's was excellent. cracking up when I saw that. That was good. Yeah, uh, wow. and in this yeah, case, that, that's brilliant. That's I brilliant. wish
2: I was. I was proud um, to see South Korea. You know, uh, my parents, my parents' homeland, um, do so well in this crisis. I'm. I'm very happy to see China. China get a grip and actually show, uh, and now you know, show off to the rest of the world that uh, they are a legitimate global power. Um, I worry for those of us. Outside in Asia, if we are actually headed into um, economic collapse or depression or recession or however bad it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very bad to have a countervailing narrative of an ascendant to Asia. Um, so I I, yeah. I guess I know no other things to say other than I, I, I hope people uh, keep their eyes open and are taking care of themselves. Just stay
0: safe this is completely uncharted waters for us i mean we've not we, you know the united states has never dealt with a multidimensional peer competitor not since the war uh, world war 2 uh and we are not handling it well so far i mean it's just been a shit show what's al- alarming to me though is i mean on on wechat in every city around the country where there's large clusters of Asian-Americans, there are now these little, uh, they're calling 911 posses, these I've little vigilante yeah. groups. Yeah. All yeah. buying guns that. and, yeah. They'll rush to your your aid, all armed with their, you know, Armalites. Ugh.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, gun stores were were absolutely packed in California. Um, and a huge number of those were, were Asians and Asian-Americans. Hey, um, look! If you if yeah. you so run if
1: you run a small business, or if you're like it, like if you're if you're running like a small grocery or a delivery, you know, takeout or whatever, like your experience with street level violence is very different than like ours. And that's right. It's you know they got to do what they got to do, and I'm not gonna right. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna jump on that. Um,
0: well, fortunately, I'm kind of a hulking person with long hair and a menacing expression, helps too, so yeah. so far nobody's um, fucked with me. We
1: should call it here about an hour seventeen. It's really helpful to have some intellectual leadership here. I think that's what we're missing. I think we're missing people coming out and really thinking or uh, thinking about and discussing these things um, without just reacting. I think that's really important. So I really am thankful uh, for people like Kaiser who are willing to come out and, and talk to us and share their thoughts. Uh, very, really, help, really, really helpful. So thank you so much, man. Happy to Thank do you. it. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to hearing you.